Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, good morning to you. Good morning to you. How many of you were here last week to uh, meet Mary and O'Shea? How many of you were here? Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that amazing? Well, um, I uh, had some correspondence, text correspondence with Mary on Monday, and uh, she said, I really, really feel like family with City on a Hill. So, um, Terry McAlman said, we're his Long Island church. I think Mary and O'Shea feel that way, too. Didn't you love them? Absolutely love them. What an amazing uh, two people. If you did not get a chance to see them, then you'll really want to hear the podcast. So, and if you're new to City on a Hill, uh, we just welcome you, your new faces. We're always glad to meet you. And if you've got a few minutes after the service, if you're new, come up and say hi to us so we get a chance to put your name with your face. Okay, well, let's just pray a minute. Uh, I'm always very grateful for the prayer team who covers this pulpit uh, in prayer every week, no matter who's behind it. Would you thank them with me, please, this morning? Yeah, yeah, I'm particularly uh, grateful personally myself for them. Um, so let's just pray. Father, we do bless you this morning. Lord, as we sang, let your peace cover us, Lord. Father, I pray for your peace to descend in this place during this time. Father, Father, for each need that's represented here, every family, every person particularly, Father, we just thank you that you are indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And we just thank you this morning that you are indeed with each of us individually and with us as your people this morning. Thank you for your promises from the beginning of your word to the end that you would be with us, Lord. And so we bless you this morning. And Father, we just release you this morning uh, to do what you want to do in each of our lives. Father, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be loosed in this place this morning. Father, we ask that your spirit would come and show us Jesus afresh and anew this morning. Father, we sincerely believe that at this hour, we need supernatural life. We need your life in us, your people. So, Father, we thank you right now for your life. We thank you that you're going to be walking up and down uh, this building, touching people. Lord, even as we speak and as we listen to your word, Father, we're absolutely trusting you to do that because that's what you promised. That's what your will is. We agree with your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I am trusting God for us spirit of revelation this morning. Um, I think God really does want to do something uh, special. You know, as preachers always say that, right? You know why we always say that? Because we're always depending on God to do something. Every time we get up, we wouldn't be up here, right? We feel like whatever God gave us, when I, most of the time when I get up here and if I have a burden, I feel like it's the most important message I've ever given. This morning's no different. 
I feel it's extremely important if God could loose us to really um, hear, I think, what he'd like to say to us. Um, I am going to chat a little bit more uh, as the morning goes on about uh, Mary, uh, Mary Johnson and O'Shea uh, Israel, uh, the two people that we met last week. I think, what, I, I think we need to just kind of have some comments and process a little bit the amazing story, the amazing revelation. What, uh, before I, I, I even go there, let me just ask you, you don't have to you know, blurt it out or say it out. What did God say to you through that testimony last week? I, I, I can imagine the amount of things that God said to all of us through that amazing time. Uh, we're going to talk about it, as I said, in a few minutes. Well, let me just start by saying this. Um, you know, I'm always in trouble when I'm up here with a mic in my hand, so, you know, you give um, senior pastors a little grace out there? Oh, that didn't sound good. A little, a little grace out there? Yeah? Give the ladies a little grace? Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to probably come at something a little bit differently than maybe you have heard before. Um, hang in there with me. You know, so often you turn on the television set and there's the, on most of your news stations, how often do you see them bring in preachers and pastors and, you know, nationally known uh, Christian figures and, you know, ask the question, you know, this is a real problem. So, so who is going to get into heaven? I mean, who is, uh, so who, do you think that you have to go through Jesus to get into heaven? Um, and um, um, I do, I do, but um, let's just kind of take it um, a little bit of a different way. I think sometimes we're coming at it the wrong way, and this is what I mean. First of all, I think you're going to have to define what heaven is, because for most people, you know, um, not so long ago, you know, um, we did a, a funeral, and uh, we were talking to, uh, you know, the people who, who had lost the loved one. And um, they were just kind of like, you know, I can just see him. You know, he's on his back in the pool, and he's drinking his beers. And, you know, he, I'm thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you see, if we think that heaven is the pleasure factory, you know, and hell is the torture chamber, you know, and what kind of a God, you know, just sends people to this torture chamber? But I think that we're a little confused, and this is what I mean. Think about it with me for a minute. God is holy. You know what that means? It means he is absolute purity. He is absolute righteousness. He is absolute love. He's absolute mercy, purity. Hmm. I don't know if the issue is who God's going to let into heaven or if the issue really is who wants to go there. <laughs> did she just say what I think she just said? Yeah, I did. I did. You know, many of you know my, uh, 
my spiritual mom, Jane Hale. She was a mom to a lot of us, grandmother to a lot of us here. And, you know, some days I'd spend days with Jane. We'd pray, you know. She wasn't into fasting that much. But uh, we'd pray and, you know, we'd be in the Word and whatever. And sometimes, I mean, this woman prayed 23 hours a day. And actually, she, went, she, she was taken to the Lord, really, during prayer. And, uh, and everybody's like, wow. Jane went with the Lord while she was praying. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, guys. When you pray 23 out of 24 hours a day, chances are really good. <laughs> chances are really good for her. But I want to tell you, there were times when I was with her and spent a few days. Could you guys do me a favor? Not you. Dave, Bill, I don't know. Younger guys. Yeah, younger. Can you just move back a little bit for me, if you don't mind? I would so appreciate it. That, you can take it that way up, actually. That would be great. Are those the three-week-old roses still? Oh, they're new. They kept telling me, the roses are still alive. It's three weeks now. Yeah, they look new. I made you feel bad. So some days I would spend a few days with Jane, and honestly, the intensity of her passion, the intensity of her life in God, there were some days I was kind of like, ah, ah, I got to go home. This is like, this is like, I need a break. Now, yes, I did say that. Yes, I did. Absolutely. You see, we have to understand that what heaven really is. You see, God is not in heaven. <laughs> heaven is in God. And what heaven is, is the, I, I love it, I think Dallas Willard coined it, but I love it and I'm using it all the time and it just so speaks to me. Heaven is the with God life. That's what goes on in heaven. It's the with God life. And so I'm not quite sure, you know, that everybody is really up for and into, yeah. You know, there's no break time to go take a smoke in heaven. You know, if you're hooked up to nicotine, mm, right? There's no time to run and have a, a little gossip on this. No gossip at all, not on the table. No gossip. No criticism, no judgment, no lust. I don't think the problem is God letting us into heaven. <laughs> I think the problem is God finding people that want to get into heaven. You know, I have a... I have a um, conviction, and because I'm not in the pulpit all the time, it doesn't matter if, if I get screwed on theology, you could write it down and send me an email or something, but I honestly believe that, um, you say, well, you know, you know the old kind of, uh, you've heard that said like this, maybe you, maybe you said it, you know, hey, heaven, forget it, I'd rather be with my friends, you know, where, having a beer, or sitting around, you know, those people are all going to be uptight, they're going to be like, really, you know, really, really, do we understand that God has his hand on humanity right now? Even whether you're saved or unsaved, God has his hand on humanity to stop humanity from totally disintegrating into absolute, uh, I don't even know if I can put a word on it. Do you remember that old movie, Dorian Gray? 
what did he, he looked in the mirror, Joanne, you, you know, he looked in the mirror and he stayed young forever and then all of a sudden, what happened to him? He, he what? He looked in the picture? Oh, the picture was getting older and older. And then all of a sudden, you just saw him on the floor and he just shriveled up like a science fiction Halloween movie, right? Not that I ever saw any of those, but I heard, I heard that people... <laughs> You see, when God takes his hand off humanity, that's what's exactly what's going to happen. Right now, God's hand of grace is on. But I want to tell you, in hell, whatever that is, I mean, whatever that's exactly like, it's going to be the without God life. That's what hell is. It's people that have chosen not to have God in their lives. It's not going to be fraternity. It's going to be the most intense hatred and jealousy and animosity and isolation and loneliness without God's hand on humanity, without God's grace on humanity. I want to tell you, people are not going to be sitting having a beer, having a, having a good old laugh. And doesn't the enemy just love to portray people that are spiritual or love God as uptight? And They, don't, they have some reason to do it. They have, uh, they have some reason to do it. But... For the most part, we know that's not reality. The authentic Christian life is love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering. I'll tell you, talking about my, my spiritual mom again, Jane, I, I mean, I just, just to get around her, the peace of God, you guys remember that knew her, Anybody who has this Jesus that we know, that we pray about, we pray to, that we sing about, anybody who has this amazing, I mean, guys, all of the universe was made for him. I mean, he is the coolest, the wisest, the smartest person there could ever be. Everybody was in love with him. You just can't get enough of this Jesus. It's just like the devil to try to get Jesus out of the way. People don't have a problem with Jesus. It's the church they have a problem with. You get around Jesus and the sinners loved him. They, he sat and had dinner with them. Nobody was afraid. Everybody wanted to be near, near Jesus. Heaven is with God. That's what God's always wanted. Remember back in the garden? Remember? Adam and Eve, after they fell, after they fell, I want to tell you, we have another, I think, a, another uh, warped idea of what, what was all the fall all about. I'll tell you what the fall was all about. You see, God wanted a people he could be with. I can't explain it to you. I can only tell you that the Trinity is absolutely just absolutely, uh, insanely um, determined to have a people that they could include within them. You know, all of the I and me and you and thee and I'm and you and you're and, you know, you know all of that lingo in the Bible? That's the Trinity. They're all the fathers and the son. Jesus said, Philip, haven't you been with me for so long that you don't know that it's not me, it's the father in me? Jesus went on doing all this talk about, yeah, but it's the Father who does the works. Don't you get that, guys? Don't you get that? He lives in me. And then you get to the New Testament, and you hear Jesus saying, you and me, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Make your home in me, and I'll make my home in you. It's like all this in stuff. You see, we are 
We are absolutely embraced by the Trinity. All those who want to live the with God life actually are embraced to have this dance with the Trinity. We're not God. I don't want to be God because to be God, you have to, you have to have two people, two persons to have a relationship. I don't want to be God. I just want to be in a relationship with God. When I first, Jesus became real to me, I said, I don't care what heaven is, Jesus. I just want to be close enough to be able to look at you. That's all I care about. I don't care about the rest of it. But we have no idea the good things that God has in store for those who love him, the Bible says. Eye has not seen, ear hasn't heard what God has in store for those who are with God. Listen, if you want to know what the school is that you're in, it's how to learn how to live with God now. If you do not know God now, if you do not befriend him now, I want to tell you something. What makes you so sure you're going to like him then? This is the time for you and I to know him. This is the time for God to change me so I'm ready and heaven is a welcome place for me to go. Does that make any sense to you? You see, what happened in the garden is this. God said, I want to be with you. And so he walked in the garden with them. And then the, the, his enemy came in and lied to them. And, and then he turned, he turned them away from him. And then you see the saddest thing in the whole Bible. God goes in to be with them. And what do they do? They hide. They hide from God. That's what people are doing from the garden. We hide from them. Don't think you don't hide from them. I hide from them. There are times I want, I, sometimes when I just, I'm sitting and I, I can just tell my walls are up to, I just kind of like, I'm really not really interested right now, Lord. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't really want to go deep today. I don't want you to show me anything. I really, could we just, could we just be quiet together? Did, did you ever, uh, you feel like you have to leave the church now that your pastor is really like, really out there? <laughs> One of your pastors. Listen, he's perfect. He's perfect, he's holy, he's pure, and I want us to understand. He, this is the time for you and I to be changed. Don't waste this life. Don't think you're just going to, we can just, okay, there was a time I surrendered to Jesus and wasn't that great? It was in, I think, 1970-something. Listen, the Christian life is surrendering to Jesus moment by moment by moment by moment. It's the with God life. God wants to live with you. He wants to talk to you at night. He wants to speak to you. He wants to be with you in the car. He wants to hear everything that's going on in your mind and what you're thinking. Religion tells you he's way over there somewhere doing some very important things. I'm really not interested in where you are right now. And you're really not that important. I mean, God's got important things to do. That's religion. That's not the with God life. The with God life is, and then when he was turned, when we had to close the garden to man, then it was, God says, the Bible is so sad. And God said, and he found a man and, and God was with Abraham. And then God was with was with Isaac. The Bible says God was with Joseph in prison, and God was with Joseph in, in slavery. God's with slaves. He's 
in the prisons. Is there a place God is not? Is there a person you think God is not with? God is with every human being. So what really happened in the garden was man fell from God-centeredness to self-centeredness. And no longer was God now the center of within each person. Self became the center of every person. And if you want to know what your redemption really is, you are redeemed to be set free from your self-centeredness. Now hang on. Brothers and sisters, the cross is the center of Christianity. And the cross is the clearest revelation of what God is like. And you know what it tells us that God is like? It says that God is so, he is such perfect love. He is so other-centered that no price was too much to pay. He is so other-centered that sacrifice is at the heart of who he is. And you and I have that spirit that lives in us. We too. If you have the spirit of Jesus in your life, I want to tell you something. You can sit and tell me you have a devotional life that's four hours a day. You get up at two in the morning. You fast four times a week. I want to tell you, at one time I'd be impressed, not impressed. I'll be impressed if I see the spirit, the real spirit of Jesus in your life. That's what impresses me today. When I see the love of Jesus like I did last week, it barreled me over. Whatever we saw last week, brothers and sisters, we saw a manifestation. Now listen to this. I want to tell you what discipleship is. Discipleship is the process of becoming, of Jesus becoming the you he would be if he were you. Discipleship, transformation, is Jesus becoming the you he would be if he were you. That little lady, that little ordinary nobody lady, Mary Johnson, was Jesus in the flesh last week. You know how I know it? I could smell my Jesus anywhere. It wasn't her great depth of theology, her great understanding of the deeper things of God. I saw Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can change you and me from self-centeredness to other, to God and other-centered. Do you want to know? You want to know what the final exam is? You want to know what God's after in your life? He's always out to tear down your ego and build up the real you in Jesus. That's what he's doing all the time. Ego, you know, easing God out. That's what your ego does. That's what your ego's all about, easing God out so that you can be seen. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If the real Jesus lives in you, that I want to tell you, then you and I have to be people that display other-centered sacrificial love. 
God-centered. You know, I am so grateful. You know, heading to 70 soon, I just can't tell you. The 40 years that I've walked with Jesus, the biggest, I mean, there's so many things I'm grateful to him for. But the more I walk with him, the more grateful I am that he is delivering me from Linda. That is the greatest victory he could ever give me in this life. I am, I, I, do you know what I mean? Oh, maybe you're just not as bad as I am because you look pretty spiritual sitting out there. But if you were me in this body, you'd be very happy to be delivered. Because I want to tell you something. Your, your self-centered nature is your problem. Not your problems you think are your problems. Not the spouse sitting next to you. Not the job. Not the bank account. None of those things. Your problem is self sitting on the throne of your life. And so is mine. Not only that, but when I just told you that, when I just told you the real spirit of Jesus is other-centered, sacrificial, you didn't like it. And I didn't like saying it. Because our sinner old nature says, really? So that's what this is all going to be about? Me learning to love other people? Wow. Ooh. But did you see what happened to one person, Mary, oh, she, Mary Johnson, when God turned around her self Listen, your, your selfishness, my selfishness, our anger, even our fears, Lord, brothers and sisters, so often at the root of them, you, just turn, you and I just turned in on ourselves. We're turned in on ourselves. I want to tell you what an amazing relief it is when, when I feel like I'm relieved and my eyes get taken off of Linda and my eyes are on the Lord and my eyes are on other people and Jesus is loving somebody through me. It is such a relief. I'm tired of the worrying. I'm tired of stress. I'm tired of the assessing. I'm tired of the judging of people, myself, and everything else. That just means you've got your eyes on you. What a relief for Jesus to deliver us from our self-centered nature. Did she look unhappy because she was? That's the secret, you see. That when you first start to move in that life, it's hard. It's like the Bible says, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many there be on it. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few there be on it. You see, the wide road, self-centered, is very wide. You have a party, everybody's, hey, 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 I know him, he's Tom, down the block, Tom, how are you doing? The road to life. But this is what happens. The narrow road suddenly starts to get wide. And the wide road suddenly starts to get narrow. Brothers and sisters, when they came to take Jesus and make him king, this is what he said. He said, hmm, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it's going to bear fruit. You know what that means? It means that seed, you, in your old nature, when you go into the dark ground and, and time and, and the dirt and the soil work on that seed, all of a sudden one day, pop, the seed.
seed breaks open and new life comes through. It's not your job to try to find the new you and to try to find out, what, well, what am I like in Jesus? What's my new self like? Get your, that's still your eyes on yourself. You got one thing to do. You die and let God take care of the resurrection. Oh, this is such a great message. I'm so sure you're happy already that you were here this morning. But that new you, that new you is free. That real you is connected to God. Brothers and sisters, really, you and I have one thing to do during the day. Stay connected. Get centered. Get centered. Learn how to live. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. Ask what you will, he said, when you do. You should be more excited about this. You see, we're made in his image. What image do you think that is? We were made in that image because what you don't know about yourself is you were made for love and you were made by love. And all the things that you think are your problems and all the things you think you need to be happy, you're so wrong. So am I. What you really need, because after the fall, we're so dysfunctional, we just don't operate right. And we think it's all these things that are going to make me happy and all these things are going to give me peace when in reality, none of that's true. The real problem is getting out of the way for another life. Another life. Brothers and sisters, if you've surrendered to Jesus, there's another life in you. It's a supernatural life. I count on it every time I get out of that chair and walk up here. If I didn't believe in another life... I have more testimonies of 40 years of God taking over. Nobody can tell me he's not real. I can never, ever have done the things I've done. I never, ever could be standing here in my right mind today. Worrier, depression in my life, uh, insecurities in my life. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But the more I walk with Jesus, the freer I get. And you know what that means? It means that when you let Jesus live through you and you get your eyes off yourself, suddenly... You become centered in God, and now you don't need people anymore. Now you're free to love them. Because until you get delivered of needing them, as long as you need them, oh boy, then there's, there's, always, there's always something, even parents, doesn't matter. You know, the great divorce, if you've never read it, C.S. Lewis, we saw the play. It's awful. Um, <laughs> such a disappointment. It was one of my favorite favorite books of C.S. Lewis. You know what the great, great divorce is? The great divorce is the busload from hell that goes to heaven and they don't want to stay there. Read the book. It's amazing. And the, they couldn't even walk on the grass in heaven. They weren't prepared. And yet, some of the smallest, littlest nobodies on our earth, they would come and would come to them to help them navigate the new land and they would look like you have no idea what you look like in Jesus. You have no idea who you are. When the day comes and the veil is parted, oh, brothers and sisters, for those that have lived the with God life, you see, I said before, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Daniel, uh, the prophets, they live the with God life. And then suddenly, as they're, they're living the with God life, and then suddenly what happens? The curtain is parted and Emmanuel is born. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God wants to live with you. 
God wants, to, wants us to live in his presence and practice his presence. Or, listen, he'll, the devil will do anything to stop you and me from getting this. Just relegate your Christianity to Sunday, a few meetings, a little 15 minutes in the morning before you leave for work, and that's it. What, that, what, a, what a theft, what a thief he is. He wants to rob you of the presence of Jesus. This life is not meant for you to live alone. That's why we're all so crabby and, and we, we're trying to fill our lives with a thousand other things. Because we weren't made to live this life alone. Okay, now I'm going to talk to you for about ten minutes before I sum up. And this is going to be an important ten minutes. I had a chance to come across some material from somebody who um, works with a Christian, uh, a Christian lady who works with the brain and connecting the brain to behaviors and taking it and seeing it in the Bible and connecting it to what we know about in the Bible. This has blown my mind, and I, it, I think it may blow your mind as well. So this is what um, she went on to say. Let me make sure I have my... Now, the brain has three parts particularly to it. Um, the first part is right in the back of your head. It's called the brainstem. And the brainstem is pretty much your autom it's automatic. It's your automatic systems. In other words, you don't have to worry about uh, breathing at night when you go to sleep because your brain is going to do all that stuff. Your brainstem is in charge of everything. But then there's two more uh, that we really want to talk about today. It's the prefrontal lobe right here. This is the part of your brain that does its um, organizing. This is the that does problem solving. This is the part of your brain that has options. It's, th it's, it's the thinking, the higher thinking part of your brain. Okay? But what we're really going to be touching this morning is there's another part of your brain uh, that's in the limbic system. It's right about over here, I understand. And there's a little part in the limbic system, and help me with the, hang in there while I, I get this word out, amygdala. Do you ever hear of the amygdala? Okay, Tara knows about the amygdala. The amygdala is a little part of your limbic system, and this is what it's there for. It is in charge of your fight and flight. Its goal is to keep you safe. So what happens is you're walking, you're walking down a path, uh, a car starts coming at you, and all of a sudden, your, this little radar, your amygdala starts to send a message and says, whoa, whoa, danger, danger. So now what happens? The amygdala sets off chemicals that start to get poured into you, cortisol for one, adrenaline for another. Now this starts to get pour it into you because it's going to shut this problem-solving down part down because is this the time? Is that a, is that a Pontiac or is that a, <laughs> is, is that a 2000 and, this is not the time. This is the time to fight or flight, okay? So to do that, chemicals are flooding you and shut down. We, we like you, you're important, but right now, shut up. I'm taking over. So now chemicals are pumping through your body 
you know, this is where you hear stories of people that lifted cars off of people they loved. It's like superhuman strength comes into, into, into your body. Okay, okay. I know you got a point here, Linda. Okay, chemicals are flooding your body so that you can do either. Either fight or flee. Now, the only problem with the amygdala is it's not very discerning. And there are times it feels threatened and it's not threatened. It can feel threatened in a social situation. It, uh, anxiety and fear. Things can, can shout out threat to the amygdala that aren't in reality uh, the same thing, aren't, aren't in that degree of your safety. Okay? Make sense? So now the problem is, you and I get into a situation, and we're in a relationship situation, and all of a sudden, you feel threatened. I feel threatened. You're defensive. I'm defensive. All of a sudden, something happens. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and walked away and said, why didn't I say that when he said that to me? All of a sudden, it kicks in, right? Because you were closed down here. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody for 20 minutes when you weren't thinking? Not good things happen. When your brain is turned off and you keep talking, we've had some really bad times. When, when your high frontal lobe, when your prefrontal lobe was down, it was not good. Whoa. You, things can happen that change your life, change relationships forever. You see, and those chemicals can start dripping down little by little or flooding, and quickly flooding you. Why am I talking about this? Because when you first surrender to Jesus Christ, God comes to live in you, in the core of who you are, in your spirit. You become a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Oh. You see, see, the Christian life is now, now God has to make you whole. You've got God on the inside of your spirit. But brothers and sisters, that's the very Nominal. That's the very beginning. Now, God has got to get you in order so that you come unto God, your spirit, your soul, and your body. So now your mind and your emotions, come on, guys. You were running the show before. Get in line. The spirit that's connected to God is now in charge. So the Bible says that your mind and all the junk that was in your mind the day before you surrendered to Christ is still there the day after you surrendered to Christ. That's why there's so many unchanged Christians. Because we haven't changed our minds. We haven't gotten transformed in our minds. Now, hang on. This is my opinion. You can disagree with me and be wrong. But it's my opinion. I think right now, first of all, the enemy knows how you were made. You say, okay, what do I do about these chemicals flooding, flooding me? Especially if I'm in a situation that's not life-threatening. Let me tell you what this, what this gal said. You take, it, take it, if you will. I've been, I've been living it for the last few weeks. Shared it with a few people. They're living it. And I, I, I'm, seeing, I, I'm seeing something. Now, this is because the Bible always, science always backs up the Bible. God made us knowing exactly. Uh, uh, science is finding out how we're made. Amen? Okay, so so this is what she said. She said, 
the first thing that you need to do, the first thing, she, her name is Sue, she said the first thing she does, as soon as she starts to, rec now if anxiety starts to take over you, you're ready to come out of your center in Jesus. You're ready to come out. You see, the enemy knows how you're made. He knows everything about your amygdala. He knows exactly what's going to happen to you. His job is to pull you out through fears and anger and resentment and bitterness because do you understand as long as he's got you dwelling on all those things and looking out at everybody else and having a problem with everybody under the sun he keeps you self-centered and he's got you and therefore you're absolutely you may have God in your spirit but you're absolutely useless to the kingdom of God because the life of Jesus is blocked right there in your mind and your mind is key your mind is key to this battleground and the enemy knows if he can just keep pulling you out, keep keeping you in your bitternesses, your angers, your self-centeredness, your, your constant, your complaining, and all the stuff that we do, your ungratefulness, your competitions, our jealousies. Anybody say amen? Is it just me? Amen. As long as he can keep you there, you're self-centered. You're happy. You're no threat to him. You're looking at yourself. There's no spirit of Jesus operating through you is there no so this is what you want to this is what she says this is what she says scientifically and biblically the first thing she does is this her name is Sue I told you Sue S Sue stop it stop Sue first thing she does mind renewal your, f your frontal lobe has options this is what God created your mind to do Sue stop Second thing she does, you may call it breath prayer. We talked a lot about that a few years ago, women's retreats. Take a deep breath. Do you know what, you know what deep breathing does? I just found out. I, I didn't know. It changes the chemistry of your body. You've got to change the chemistry to counter the chemicals that are pouring into your body. One, stop. Two, Take a deep breath and say it, do a Jesus prayer. Lord, I'm yours. Get, get centered, back to God. Get under God again. Say, oh, okay, Lord, because the devil tried to, the circumstances, the warfare, whatever you want to call it, your own flesh, tried to pull you out so you'd get out from your direct line, from your spirit and under the authority of God, and now you're out here and the devil's got you. Now he's taunting you, and you know what else she said about you? Let me tell you what else she said about you. And you know what you do? you got one thing to do. What? Who knows? Get back. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. The most important thing you've got to do is learn. You and I have to learn moment by moment to remain centered. Oh, I was losing my mind. You can, what happens to you when you're out? You know what? The Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. When you lose your peace, you should stop everything and say, Lord, I lost my peace. What happened? What did I do? Where, did I, Lord, I want to get back. I want my peace back. You and I have got to learn in the world we're living in with the fears and the pressures and the anxiety 
that is around us everywhere if we do not learn practical ways of really walking this walk and really learning how to walk with God and stay God-centered. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what to say. How many of you, I won't even ask you to raise your hand, but I know, I bet if we went around this room, most people would tell me, Pastor Linda, I'm totally overwhelmed. Every time I think I can't take one more thing, I get three more. I just don't even know what to do anymore. It's just over my head. I mean, I'm just done. I was done a year ago, and it just doesn't stop. This is warfare. And I told you, when I, I didn't tell you, but I prayed it. This is the hour for a supernatural life. If you're just going to live in your life, <laughs> if I'm going to live in Linda's life, I am done. I am done because I feel that way. In all the years of walking with the Lord, I have never felt so overwhelmed in so many ways in, in my own life. But you know what? God's letting that happen to us because he wants us to learn how to stay in Jesus and don't come out and don't be fodder for the, for the enemy. I'm going to finish up now. You see, yeah, let me finish up with this. It can't be. Is it 25 after 12? The Bible says that we're to be like trees. Jeremiah 17 said that blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. He's like a tree whose roots go deep down in the river and his leaves don't dry. And his, during a drought, his leaves still stay green. Brothers and sisters, trees always represent Christians, always represent Christians in the Bible, people of God. And God says, the one thing you've got to do, there is a river of living water. He said in John 7, on the Feast of the Tabernacles, they went and they took, the priest would take a, 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 take a basin of, um, a gold basin of um, pitcher of water and take it and take it up to the temple and pour it out because this was desert. Water meant everything. And Jesus is saying, come to me and drink. I am the water. Brothers and sisters, you and I have got to learn how to be people that soak our feet into our, are grounded and rooted in the river, which is his life. I'm going to show you right now a minute and a half video as we close. This is John Ortberg. And in his book, Rule of... Uh, um, Thank you. Not rule keeping. Absolutely not rule keeping. <laughs> Did I say rule keep? I think you told. I think you got me. Yes. <laughs> Stop channeling yourself to me. Yes. 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 Soul keeping. You are the master of your soul. Your soul is the most important. Haven't we heard this? Your soul is the most important thing that you have got. If you lose your what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You are the keeper. I am the keeper of my soul. That's my mind. God gives you authority to say, I will not think that. I will not go there. God gives us authority over our soul to come under the leadership of the Spirit who is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that you are in charge of keeping that river that flows from the Spirit of God in your, in your spirit pure and clean 
and flowing from your life, there is a river in you that makes glad the city of God. There's a river that came out from the side of Jesus. When the blood and the water poured out of his side, that river came down. It's flowing right now from the throne of God, and it's flowing to any person who will absolutely receive it. It's the grace of God. It's yours every minute from Monday till we come back here on Sunday. Every single minute that river is flowing. Will you and I get in the river and say, I'm soaking. I'm going st- to get rooted in this river. He's going to be my identity. He's going to be my portion. He's going to be my source. He's going to be my life. He's going to be my love. He's going to be everything I need. This is the time to get rooted in Jesus. Let's see that video, Scott. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, Far beyond anybody's sight lived an old man who served as kind of keeper of the stream. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. Nobody supervised the old man anyhow. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the creek into stagnant bogs. For a time, nobody in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live somewhere else. It no longer had that crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some in the town began to grow ill. Everybody noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. You see, the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. So the city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were clean, the stream was pure, and children played again on its banks. An illness was replaced by health. The swans came home. The village came back to life. The life of the village depends on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. Our thoughts, our attitudes, and our dispositions pollute that river 
that wants to flow out. But God wants, in the with God life, I'm with God. He gives me, he's my source of everything. And in that satisfaction, he flows out from me to others. God-centered, other-centered, love is the center. Peace reigns, joy like a river. Father, this morning we just want to ask you that you'll continue to open our eyes to see the amazing deliverance you gave us from the cruel taskmaster that has been ruling us, um, a self that's out of position, uh, a self-centeredness that looks at everything as food to, for self-aggrandizement, to meet a need to be used instead of, instead of to be given to. Father, this morning, I just ask you for your seed to be watered in all of our lives. Father, for every person that feels overwhelmed this morning, I ask you to take this small fish and loaves. Help us at this hour to recognize we're under attack and this is a war. Help us, Lord, to, to take the weapons you've given us, the truth that's ours, to stand and, Father, to put be on guard at the door of our minds that we might agree with you and close and any traitor that tries to get in through those doors, that we might put them out quickly, that we might live with you, Lord, with our eyes on you, as the psalmist said, looking at you, loving you, knowing you, letting your peace be the arbiter of our lives from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night. Father, we want the with God life. We want to live with you. Deliver us from every lie we believe. Help us to take small steps during, the during each day this week to stop for a minute and pause and look up to you and say, Father, thank you. You want to live this moment right now with me. I want to live with you right now, this moment. I surrender to your will right now this moment. Father, help us to have many of those moments. Not to judge ourselves when we miss it, but Father, teach us how to do it. That we can, that it will spread like a, like wildfire fire within us. That day by day, Lord, our eyes will be so busy, lifted to you. So free that Lord, the fruit of the Spirit will be ours. Love, joy, peace as you live your life to us. I, I pray it for every person in this building, I pray it in the majestic and mighty name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.